Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 25. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. Welcome, everyone. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. Continuing on our instructor series, we talked last time about opening a gym. This time, let's talk about maintaining and growing it. So in the previous episode, we discussed what you have to do to get a gym open in the first place, what kind of decisions you're going to have to make in order to get you there. Now we're talking more about a gym that's up and running, probably not profitable yet, but what are the things that you're going to have to worry about to keep the gym in operation? How do you find and procure students? Um, what about advertising, merchandising? What should your schedule look like? Matt, these are all things that you're familiar with and obviously much more knowledgeable about than me. Hey, I just make it up as I go, man. You know as much as I do. <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the first thing to talk about is how do you find students? When you open mm -hmm. a gym, it's just going to be you. And if you've ever gone to visit a, an early stage gym, then you probably know it's a little bit awkward. You know, when, when you're, if you're looking for a gym yeah. to train at and there's a new gym that cropped up in the area and you go there and it's just the instructor and you... It's weird. On, on one hand, it's amazing because you basically are paying for privates. But on the other hand, it's kind of strange. And it's... And off-putting because you're like, why doesn't anyone train here? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so this is probably one of the biggest hurdles that any business deals with getting out of the gate. Establishing your initial customers is hard because you have no precedent for success. You have no references. You don't even really have evidence that you know what you're doing. Once you've got a base of customers, it, it can start to snowball. But how do you get those first few especially? So Matt, in the industry, this is called lead generation. How do you find leads? How do you convince them that your gym is the place to train? That's a process that you've gone through recently. Yeah, when you when you first start a business like say a jujitsu school, um, it's always going to be on your mind. I need more leads. I need to get more leads. I need more leads. And then as you get a few years in and you start to be able to support yourself and you're actually making a little bit of money, it changes. So you're now you no longer want to get just anyone in the door. You now want to get quality leads into the door, and it it changes because now you can support yourself. Um, I remember when I first started on guard it was me and mike lee who's another black belt my business partner and we just showed up and rolled because no one else was there um and uh it, it's it's a really defeating feeling especially when you're putting your money and your time into something and you want to see results you want to see your business grow as fast as you can but unfortunately when you're when you're starting a business nothing happens fast right so it's it takes a lot of patience um and and a lot of confidence because you need to have that confidence to sort of guide you through that tough time and uh you're always asking yourself how can i get more leads how can i get more people to just just come into the door right so mm -hmm. so I'll, you know i can share a few experiences i mean 
you know, you, you, if, if you have a jujitsu school, first of all, you're always going to get people from, from, uh, you know, Pakistan asking if you want to want geese made and you want gear made um, and things like that. But you're also going to have a lot of people message you and say, hey, I'm a digital marketer or I my job is I generate leads for for different gyms. And and I basically market online to get people with similar interests to get, you know, to, to come to you or whatever. Um, I've gone I, I've spent tons of money on advertising. I, I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot, most of the time when I spend money on advertising, it doesn't pan out. Uh, nowadays I can almost say without doubt that anything on paper is a waste of time. I think it's nice to have some business cards, but if, you know, one of my first campaigns I started was a, it was like a door knock uh, brochure. It hung on the doorknob of, 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 of the house. You would go by and hang them on different houses and uh, not one lead came back. Not one. I, I must have put them on hundreds of houses. Not one lead came back. Huge waste of time. Waste of money. I've also had different ads go up in newsletters, um, the Coffee News, which is a local free newspaper, uh, different newspapers. Never any leads. None. Um, so I, I would say nowadays in the digital age, pretty much everyone's on their phones. If you're starting a gym, don't waste your time with paper as, as tempting as it may be. Even things like, um, you know, I used to buy sandwich signs. I would have sandwich signs made and I'd put them all over town. They either get stolen or if you put them on a chain, the city will call you and take them away. Um, you know, you, you want to be as visible as you can when you first start, but unfortunately, uh, those are kind of older tactics and nowadays you, you get a much better efficient reach and you save time if you do uh, online marketing such as like an Instagram advertising, you know, you make like a, a nice post or you make it have a video made and, um, you know, you can make that a, an ad and that's one of the better things that you can do I think is actually ads on Instagram, I've actually seen a decent amount of return. The people that say, hey, you know, I, I, I do this for a living. I generate leads. You know, I've had mixed experiences with these people because first of all, they're always going to call you and they're always going to say, I guarantee I can get you 40 leads a month or I can get you 30 leads a month or whatever. Um, there, there's no such thing as a guaranteed number of leads. Okay. And uh, you're also keep in mind what they don't tell you is that all they need to do is get this person to email you. So basically, this digital marketer is going to set up a, uh, an ad for you, usually using stock photos and stock videos, and it's it's not at all authentic, right? And then these, and then he'll or he or she will put that ad in a in a demographic area where you're uh, either geographically or um, he will decide people that are interested in martial arts. They're going to click on this ad, and basically they just sign up for a free trial or whatever, or you know they they mask it as a contest so that people want to click on it, and then they contact you and then that's all they have to do so that's th their job's done once once they send they give you an email it says hey you have a new lead or whatever and what they don't tell you is that it's up to you to go and hunt all these people down which is a really big job it's actually a lot of work to to constantly be calling people emailing people I used to do it and now I'm at a point thank god where I don't have to do it anymore so I don't do it um and you can you can generate leads. Uh, I find it's it's more successful for generating uh, kids leads than adults. Um, but it's still you know it's it's a lot of work. So I think the best advertisement of all is word of mouth. And hopefully you're a person who is well known. We're going to talk about networking uh, later on. 
possibly in another episode entirely. But uh, word of mouth is one of the best ways that you can actually generate leads. And uh, I haven't had a huge ton of success with either paper or digital online marketers. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a hard process to rush, but it is what it is. It, these things take time. And, and uh, like I said, in a business, nothing happens overnight. Yeah. When you're targeting people that might be interested in your product, you have to think of a few things. One is what kind of person is that likely to be? What What is the pain point that they're likely really dealing with? And how can, how can I reach that and make it so clear that I'm giving them something useful that it's going to be hard for them to say no? That's part of it. Um, another thing that you also want to understand is that you don't want to just be a, like a, a drop in the bucket. You don't want to be like a voice in a sea of voices in a crowd. And the problem that a lot of people make when they're trying to advertise is, like Matt said, they just throw something together for like a newspaper or they print off brochures, which might be what everyone else is doing. And if you do the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're going to get just drowned out by everybody else. It doesn't even matter how good you are. People might not ever even really see what you're doing. Uh, probably a common example of this in the office environment is submitting your resume, right? If you submit a resume to apply for a job, you got to bear in mind, especially if there's, if the job market is hot, there could be so many applications in there that they don't even pay attention to yours and they don't even see yours and you never really get an opportunity to make the pitch that you want to make. It's much better to try to figure out avenues that other people are not approaching. Like for for example, a long time ago, you know, the way that you would do this is you would like reach, try, try to guess at like the, the, what the email address would be of the hiring manager and try to mail that person directly and just bypass the whole line. Um, this is a, a really good approach. You, you never want to go and compete in the place where everyone else is competing. You want to find uh, the easiest path possible to success. So if there is an avenue where you can send a message and stand out and you think that way is going to resonate with the people that you want to bring to your business, that's the best approach. Um, something that, you know, I mean, something that we've used for this podcast are Facebook ads, which is, you know, Facebook ads and Instagram ads are very, very similar. They're both owned by the same company, but they cater to slightly different markets. Um, but one of the benefits of Facebook is because they have so much data on their users, they can really, really specifically target the kind of people that you're interested in. You know, you could say, for example, only show this ad to people um, that fall within, uh, you know, X miles or kilometers of my gym and are specifically interested in jujitsu. And you might even be able to narrow it even a bit further and try to dig into people who have trained. So that's one of the nice things about a platform like that. It really allows you to target specifically, and it's also quite affordable, and they give you really good analytics in terms of whether what you're doing is working or not. So so yeah. if you try something and it turns out not to be working, you can cancel it pretty quickly without having lost a lot of money. Whereas to your point, Matt, if you're printing physical media like you know brochures and stuff, that's kind of a, first of all, you, you kind of have to do that in bulk, and then it's this massive sunk cost, yes. and it's a lot of effort to go and distribute those too, right? Whereas something like Instagram, ads, it, they just happen, right? You put together the ad, you say who you want to serve it to, yeah. and Facebook just goes off and it finds those people for you. Yeah, and it saves you a lot of time because you don't have to go and deliver the ad and um, everyone's on their phone nowadays. So I find mm -hmm. that, you know, it, I've using a mental model that we've we've talked about in investing in loss. Uh, basically, advertising is investing in loss. You know, it costs money to get your name out there and get your picture out there to get your, your brand out there um, and you're hoping to see a return. And 
And unfortunately, most of the avenues that I've exhausted have seen very little return. Um, the things that do generate returns are, like I said, word of mouth, uh, student referral programs. So if you, you know, if you have something like bring a friend in um, and you'll get a free month or, you know, you offer a special rate to police and military and firefighters, paramedics, things like that. And also, if uh, one thing I'd recommend is, you know, knowing your community and sort of being seen in the community. So a, few, uh, a week ago, we did the Pit Meadows Day. It's like a family day. There's businesses that meet in the park. They set up tents and then they just showcase their businesses. There's food trucks. It's awesome. So uh, it's, it was free, literally free advertising. All I had to go do was set up a booth. And then people come by and they say, oh, yeah, you're here. We, we, okay, we see you now. And then and then who knows? You, you know, you give away a free two weeks or whatever. And, and hopefully you get a few leads out of that so you know if, if you do that and you get one lead or two leads it's worth it yeah you know if you can be seen as an active member of your community to the point where people kind of start to recognize you not even as a business but as a person that's always one of the strongest types of connections that you can make and it's also the most authentic right the problem with a lot of traditional marketing and advertising is it comes across as very authentic or inauthentic which can be a turnoff but if you get yourself into a position where you can actually meet some of these people face to face rather than trying to yeah. blast them with ads, mm-hmm. that's almost always going to work out better. I, I mean, there's scalability issues, right? You know, you can't necessarily contact the whole world on a one-on-one basis. But if your goal is to open a gym, well, you have a, a restricted geographical area and it's pretty pretty reasonable to find places that where you could kind of fit in. You know, like Matt said, if there are community events or fairs or even the opportunity to provide like educational seminars or kind of give a, a speech about or maybe an intro to jujitsu or something like yes. that, that kind of thing starts to establish you as a recognized local expert. And that kind of thing is going to lead people to your door. Exactly. And, and you know, another great example is hopefully, um, you know, if you the city that you're in or that your your school is in, it, um, you sometimes we'll have a Facebook page like we have a Pit Meadows community page where people just share info and then on Sundays we do a, a, something called a small business Sunday where you basically just get to blast your your business on there and, and have people see it so like little things like that don't cost you a lot of money or time it could just be as simple as creating a post mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's it's all visibility right now every nowadays everything's vi- uh, visual uh, on online and it's it's um, it's everything's moving away from paper so just from my own personal experience, I haven't had a great uh, return on anything that has to do with paper. Um, and another thing you could do is, you know, if you're looking to generate uh, kids leads is try to get involved in a local school or you mm-hmm. offer a, um, uh, like you said, an intro to jujitsu program at a school. I haven't done it personally because I found it very difficult to work with the the school board. And I find that um, you have to jump through a lot of hoops involved or you have to pay money to to rent their space to host something like this. Uh, But I do know some people that have gotten in and and had great success doing this. So, you know, trying to find little avenues and ways to to. Ways to get your face seen online and and, uh, get out there in the community is a good way to to start generating the leads. Yeah. And a good way to do that sometimes is to just try to, like, if you're having trouble, say, getting into the school system, which is understandably hard, right? You know, the the school system is not going to let you just, like, show up and teach a class. You have, there's going to be a lot of red tape that you're going to have to go through. For sure. Yeah. Same if you want to get involved with, like, a police department, right? There's a lot of regulations around what kind of help these people are allowed to just 
bring in. Yeah. So I've tried that too, and yeah. uh, it's it's really difficult because, and and this is uh, you know the, what the excuse that I got was oh well if we use your techniques and someone gets hurt. Um, you know, then, then, uh, we could be liable and it's like, well, I'm trying to teach you how to actually be in more in control. Yeah. I'm not trying to teach you these lethal techniques. Right. So it, it, there's a, and that just goes along with the misconceptions that brings along with jujitsu. People think that we're like, you know, teaching death touches and things like that. We're actually just talking about, well, maybe levers. you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I taught death touches all day today. It was fantastic. <laughs> Three of my students are in the ground. <laughs> no, I just, I just talk about levers and, uh, you know, body mechanics. But, yeah. you know. Well, that, that can be an argument as to how you can get into, like, the school system. You can say, look, I'm just teaching, like, grade 8 physics. That's all it is. You know, it's just levers and fulcrums. Yeah, anyway, I should say that. I haven't, I haven't really thought of that. Yeah, but... But anyway, it can be hard to get into a, a bureaucratic system like that. So the question then is, how can you kind of be more efficient about it? One thing that you can do is if you start to proactively provide value to people, it makes it a lot more likely that they're going to come back and try to reciprocate. So a common thing that you can do, uh, to, to Matt's point, if there is like a, a community forum or a community board or some sort of community group, if you actively engage in that and you help people there, you answer questions, you know, you kind of eventually you kind of get absorbed into that collective if you give into the community often you'll find that they then give back into you it's a it's kind of a, a weird um, human thing but when <laughs> when you you know when people are given something they feel a need to reciprocate so a lot of the times if you want something out of someone the best thing to do is to help them first right yep. which is kind of uh, I, I mean it's kind of touchy-feely actually when you think about it but if if you can demonstrate to people first that you're there to deliver value they're going to be a lot more likely to come back and engage you as customers yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like I said, don't be afraid to take risks. If you can, if you can spend a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, do, you know, and ad, ad campaigns aren't cheap, but they are necessary, especially if you're starting out and you just, you're looking for some kind of visibility and, and, uh, hopefully your branding and your, mar and your, uh, your business plan is sound, right? That, mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt to have a sort of a second opinion if you know someone who's into marketing and, you know, hopefully your logo is, is appealing and it's not too, you know, uh, not to, not to shit on anyone, but hopefully it's not like two bulldogs fighting each other, you know, something. <laughs> it's a Looney Tunes character that yeah. you've reappropriated and made look really violent. Exactly. So, it, you know, you got, you got to think about everything about your branding. It can't, it can't be intimidating or douchebaggery. It's got to be something that's, uh, it's, you know, it's original. It stands the test of time like it ages well it's not going to look corny in five years and it's something that uh you know ev everyone from uh women to men to children are going to be comfortable going to this school so it's uh it's it's important that you sort of look from from all angles and of course when you're generating leads you really got to know your we discussed in the previous episode about knowing your art your target audience and knowing you know who are you trying to attract are you trying to attract meatheads and fighters or do you want it to be a family organization you know and uh or or do you want it sort of a a, a friendly room that's even across the whole board right like what what is your vision what is your business model and that's going to reflect the students that come in yeah absolutely so on that topic, you know, uh, something that new gym owners often feel the itch to do is to get custom merch, which of course is a tremendously expensive endeavor. Yeah. Matt, I, I know that you've done this too. What are your thoughts on the importance and honestly the ROI of merchandising when it comes to opening a gym? 
Yeah, well, my, I, you know, I, I have had uh, lots of gear made from hats to hoodies, shirts, rash guards, geese. In fact, I'm, I have a new order coming in in a few months, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll say this. At first, not a huge need for something like this. If you're going to go compete and you are a competitor, it's nice to have a custom rash guard or uh, a gi or at least patches right something something with your logo on it so that if you're competing you can people can take pictures of it and it can be shared around and people see you with your brand but when you're starting a gym i don't find making gear is all that necessary Uh, again my my rule for gear that i have made is very similar to um what how i think branding should be it should be original it should uh be it should stand the test of time it should be appealing and uh not corny right so so if you if you make a bunch of gear and in 5 years you look back and you're like oh this is kind of kind of not very nice then you're you know it's probably not a good idea to make that gear um and i'll say this if if you're a gym if you're just starting a gym the expense of making custom gear probably not that good of an idea because it takes you a while to sell it and at first you're eating a huge cost Mm -hmm. (laughs) so if expenses are tight and you're you know you have to support your family while you're trying to get your gym off the ground you probably don't want to spend a grand on custom geese or you know custom rash guards because you're just eating that cost until you get enough students that can actually buy it right yeah uh it takes me a long time to sell gear i i buy gear and then i sit on it for a long time and a lot of it doesn't sell so you you kind of need um a a little bit of a surplus of money to spend on something like that yeah the the other thing about merchandising too is that it tends not to be a very high profit industry you know the the cost of what you're selling Mm -hmm. is already pretty high so if you're merchandising because you think it's going to make you a lot of money you're probably wrong you know the merchandising really one of the benefits at least in the early stages of a business is it's kind of promotional material right it gets your logo out in front of people so that they become familiar with it but the actual business of you know selling the merch itself is not likely to ever really be a big profit center for you it's just the kind of thing where like you're you're going to be lucky if you break even on merch yeah I think I think sort of the the fundamental branding things that you need for your school when you're starting are you need patches like at least just a few patches and some stickers and then in terms of your gym you need a sign you know preferably a big sign uh possibly some some small signs around town that you can put up not satin and guys don't get sandwich signs um they get in people's way and that and people will always try and either steal them or move them or break them get signs that you can zap strap to a fence that's that's the most consistently good thing that i've done in terms of signs because they don't get in people's way it doesn't bother the city and they're very very visual um and also like if you're thinking about things to get around your school like uh uh, any type of graphic like a decal if you have a window front which would be awesome or or like I said a big sign out front and uh, a big decal inside you know have your logo on the wall and that's pretty much it you really don't need to be blowing a ton of money on custom stuff just yet I think I would wait until I have enough students and I can support myself then I'll start spending money on on things like that yeah I think that when it comes to merch the one thing that's kind of a, a can't miss is stickers and decals just because because they're so cheap compared to everything else. They can you can put them on pretty much anything, right? You can throw 
throw them on your laptop. You can throw them on like your, you know, your water mug. You your can car. put them on your car. Um, so they're I put them on around town. Yeah, you, you can stick them <laughs> onto stuff like onto onto like community boards around town. Um, stickers are good because they're super cheap. You can get them by the hundreds. Um, they look good. They have a lot of purposes, and they also act as convenient advertising. So that's kind of the only one uh, thing that I think is just a total must do. Probably good to get some patches too, because if nothing else, you can then you know you can kind of brand your own clothing you can put them on your geese and stuff but patches are actually shockingly expensive is they the are yeah and we do have some very awesome bjj mental models patches now yeah that we are super expensive yeah we, <laughs> we did a small run of them and i we were trying to figure out you know hey should we actually put these up for sale and the thing i i realized is number one uh i'm not sure if enough people would buy them and number two once people under understand what we paid for them and what we'd have to charge yeah <laughs> there's no way anyone would pay for that stuff i'll say this as as a business owner uh of a martial arts school I, someone who's bought patches they're extremely expensive and you do not make money on patches you won't make any money it's it's purely for marketing so if mm -hmm. i have students competing i want to make sure that i may i have a few patches made up and uh you know you can some some schools have a patch policy or whatever you can charge your students or you can just give your students a patch if they're willing to represent you in competition and they're wearing your patch that looks good so it's mm -hmm. something to you know it's something to think about if you have if you're a new school but you have a few competitors that are going to represent you get them in some gear even if it's a t-shirt right that mm -hmm. just has your logo on it that's relatively cheap but it is free marketing and people will say oh who's that wearing oh what's the, where's that gym right oh i'd like to check that out mm -hmm. so it's a you know it, it, think of it as marketing not so much as a profit yeah. Matt, I have a question for you, and this mm -hmm. is probably kind of ironic coming from us, but what do you think of creating like a YouTube channel or a podcast as a promotional vehicle for your business? Because I kind of have a few thoughts on that, right? On, on one hand, if you've got something of value that you can provide, those are great ways to do it. But on the other hand, if your goal is to promote your gym, I don't know if it's going to help you because, you know, podcasts and YouTube, by by definition, they go out to the whole world, right? But if you're trying to run a gym, you got to sell to people who are local. Mm -hmm. So... What I, I what I wonder is to what benefit is running a podcast actually useful to support a local business? In terms of a podcast, I mean, let's be honest, we, we don't even know if this is going to be yeah. going to support us. Uh, Steve and I do this purely for the love right now, and because we feel like we have information that would be valuable to people. I don't do this podcast necessarily. This uh, is not my retirement plan. Yeah, it's not my retirement plan. Although it, people do come up and ask me about it and, and tell me that it's awesome at tournaments. So, um, a guy walked up to me at a coffee shop and said he loved my podcast, and it was the weirdest thing. And you're like, get away from me. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I, the way I look at this podcast is almost more of an investment long-term than a short-term thing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully in the future, it, it becomes, uh, you know, more lucrative and, and, uh, be, more people listen to it. But right now it's just for fun. So I, I don't know that, uh, you know, a podcast is going to help my business per se. Yeah. Now having a YouTube channel, for example, like I have a YouTube channel that is pretty much exclusively just matches like competition footage and um i've definitely had people come in parents uh student and, and adult students have both been like hey i know you i've watched you online i i, I think you're you know I, I i watched this fight it was so crazy i watched this fight it was awesome so i'm signing up my kid here or i'm or i'm gonna try a trial here because of that 
and that that's cool and and youtube is is uh it's free to put those vi- if you have the footage right it, i first started because i i was a competitor and i wanted to just get myself out there get sponsorships i wanted to just gain some more um visibility in the jiu-jitsu community and then it turned into a huge help for me being a business owner to have that footage available so you know you, you it, it was kind of like free marketing so that definitely helped me out just having my footage of competition up in the on YouTube. Well, that's what we talked about in the last episode where we said that, you know, when you go and compete, one of the main benefits to doing that as far as a business ownership goes is you're basically getting work experience to put on your resume, right? It's like how when you work at a job that's, you know, in addition to getting paid, you're putting experience on your resume that's going to help you get hired in the future. And putting up that comp footage is basically putting up proof of your resume, right? Exactly. So if there's now the question is how do you get people to see that footage but Uh the nice thing about comp footage is people tend to share that stuff on Facebook especially people who know you and then people who know them will see it and people who know them will see it and then that starts the conversation of oh you know that guy I saw that on your feed that was a cool fight hey he does he have a gym he has a gym maybe we can train there right so so comp footage that specifically involves you can have a tremendous value as well and in terms of advertising guys like uh, for the longest time I didn't have Facebook or Instagram or even like Twitter or anything like that. I didn't have anything because I just, I didn't want to be around social media. And, um, ever since I started marketing myself as an athlete and then eventually having a gym, I, I started opening accounts for an athlete page, which I barely use. And, uh, of course the on guard page, both Instagram and Twitter. And it's kind of annoying, you know, some people will have someone that do their, that does their social media for you. Um, which I cannot justify the cost of doing, but it's free advertising. So um, you would, even if you don't like doing social media, having a good Instagram page that's a, um, attractive and has a variety of different things on it from competition footage clips to technique videos to shots of your class to, you know, pictures of the class lining up and things, cool things like that. Um, that is a really valuable way to get visibility. So I, I'm pretty sure nowadays most people are already on some form of social media, but definitely if you're a business owner, you have to have social media because that is really, you're going to generate leads doing that, no doubt. You yeah, have and, to have that. And if you don't have it in this day and age, you kind of don't exist as a person. Now, it's true. Now, it, it, it's funny you say that, but it's totally yeah, true. It's, it's like you're off the grid. It's like how, you know, in the 70s, if you didn't have like a passport and a, and a driver's license, you were off the grid. <laughs> it's like now, if you don't have social media, you're a ghost. You just don't exist. Now, for some people on a personal basis, that might be desirable. But if you're trying to run a business, you probably want people to at least know who you are. And it's important to know like certain tips when you're when you're even just simple things like making posts. Like, for instance, um, you know, okay, well, you finish your class and you clean up, you go home. By the time you do that, maybe it's 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and I'm guilty of this. You, that's not the most ideal time to be putting out a post, right? There's certain times of the day when people yeah. tend to look at their phones, like maybe early, like 9 a.m., noontime, and then around like uh, 5 o'clock, right? Uh, that's when you're going to get the most visibility. There's there's certain ways to structure your posts and, you know, learn how to use hashtags and things like that to, to get more people to look at it. Um, that are all smarter ways to build your posts yeah. rather than just like winging it, right? So if you have someone that's really good at something like like that, that's good to pick their brain and sort of see what they say. Yeah, the things that separate successful social media from unsuccessful are really subtle and hard to explain. Like, or maybe they're actually easy to explain, but I just don't understand it, so I certainly can't. But you know, some sometimes you post something and it just gets no traction. But other times you post something and it just 
catches on like fire. So there are there are certain things that are more likely to catch the attention and the imaginations of the people looking at your feed. Uh, my best advice there would be talk to someone who really understands social media. I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest hiring a social media consultant at this stage in your business, but surely everyone has a friend who probably does this for a living and can maybe answer a few questions for you. Failing that, a lot of this information is readily available online and you can probably Google some pointers as to what kind of stuff to post, where to post it, and, and when to post it as well. Exactly. Like, if you need any information on this stuff, you should definitely consult YouTube and Google before you go and hire someone because there's so much free information out there now. It's 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 so available, right? So don't go spending several hundred dollars for a few months of, of someone's help to help, you know, to set you up online. Go on YouTube, go on Google, just type it in and you're going to be amazed at what you find, the resources. That or you, you could really kind of, um, you know, play 4D chess and you could do a skill swap, right? You could offer someone jujitsu instructional in order for them to help you with social media yeah. because then not only do you get the social media, but you also have a potential customer who, if impressed, may join the gym. Um, mm-hmm. This is a, a very, very good way actually to get some of your initial people in the door is to offer skill swaps because that allows you to provide value to them, to get value to grow your business and to get people in the door, which is the most important thing when you don't have any customers yet. Yeah, so true. And and also uh, some, something when we're talking about generating leads, um, you know, you're going to have tons of friends and, and, and people in your life that are, oh yeah, I'll come out and I'll try your gym and they don't come. Yeah. Uh, you, if someone says they're going to come out and try your gym, don't believe them. Don't. I'm. I'm not trying to to beat down anyone out there who's struggling to find leads right now. But just just know that people are liars and that um they're gonna give you the lip service, right? Mm-hmm. If you have someone calling you and they they have you on the phone for you know 20 minutes asking you about your gym, asking about prices, asking about information about your school, you can you can be on the phone all day with them. They're not coming in. It's it's the people that that they call you and they say, what time is your class? You tell them to say, okay, I'll see you then. And then you're like, okay, this guy's probably going to come in. Mm-hmm. It's the people that say, oh, I want to be a fighter. I want to I want to try this out. I want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm really pumped on doing this. Like I've been wanting to do this for. If they start talking to you for more than a minute, they're not coming in. It's a good point. There's people yeah. who want to do things, and then there's people who do things. Who do right? things, right? And yeah. and really, and and at that point, it's kind of cruel because you're just dying to get people in the door. Yeah. And so sometimes, like before, I would. I would romance the idea of, of talking to these people on the phone. Begging them to come and in. I, and I, well, I just, I would be like, yeah, like, you know, it's a gr- such a great sport. Like, it's so amazing. I, and I talk to them and then you, you never see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, there's, there's debates as to whether or not you should put your prices online or your schedule online because, because then people will like, they'll already have an, uh, an excuse not to come. They'll look at the prices and be like, oh, I can't really afford that. So they start to justify it in their head how they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Or they'll look at your schedule and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm already busy this day and this day and this day. So I know I can't do it. Right. Um, one of the things that Mike Lee started doing, because <laughs> when we get, uh, when we get, when we we have a, a website, right? So so when uh, there's a place to enter your information, and then I get an email, and then I contact them, and it's basically just generates leads organically. And um, <laughs> whenever somebody asks, somebody asks, uh, you know, how much does it cost, and and um, you know, when are when are the classes, and and uh, you know, I, I'm interested in this. Now Mike just started saying. 
why don't you get your ass in here and just try it? <laughs> and just being brutally like blunt about it, being like, be like, yeah, well, we can talk about prices when you get your ass in the gym. <laughs> and it works. People yeah. come in, they're like, okay. And then they show up. It's the yeah. weirdest thing ever. Because you think that if, if you're going to be like super hospitable on the phone and you're, you know, you're going to be super nice and you go on tangents about jujitsu that people are going to be like, wow, this guy's passionate. Like, yeah, I'm going to go train with him. No, that's not it. People want you to be like, just get in here. Just try this. Yeah. It's like yeah, they, yeah. They, they just, they, it's like, why don't you come find out? It's people like, have a how much, does, how much does it cost? Why, why don't you come find out? It's like, Oh yeah. People okay. have a tendency to overthink things, right? If, if they start inquiring and asking a lot of questions, it's, you can kind of paralyze yourself with analysis, especially if you're already afraid of doing what you're thinking of doing. It's easy to talk yourself out of something, but some, sometimes you can, um, I'm trying to think of if we actually already talked about mental models for this, but sometimes you can really get surprising amounts of traction on things by doing what people don't expect because, because what you do it's is true. so memorable that it just it just stands out completely right yeah. like um you you can really it just if you say if you say something unexpected or do something unexpected now granted you don't want to come across like a crazy person yeah. but but if you can take people outside of the narrative in their head that they've already built about how this situation is going to go you can really push their behavior a lot faster than if you just play the conversation the way that they want you to play it and especially you know people are so sick of being like if you're a sleazy used car salesman yeah, people or don't like to be sold to even if exactly. they're asking for the information people don't like to be sold to yeah i mean generally we keep our we keep our schedule online but our price sheet is offline yeah. so people always call and and, and email me well, what's your prices i say just come in and do a free trial you know worst case scenario you learn something for two weeks yeah. or whatever uh we'll talk about prices when you get in the door because if you tell them the prices they'll be like oh, i can't afford that why would i you know they'll already start justifying in their head why they why they can't do it and, and another thing about getting leads you know like i've had i've made some rookie mistakes like for example i you know taught class and then after class it's it's late at night and i check my lead box and someone leaves me their number to call and i call them and it's like 10 30 and they're like what the fuck are you doing calling me right now mm -hmm. i'm like oh yeah that's right. I was other, people, so, other people leave normal lives. I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> I was so eager to get leads that I would like do silly mistakes like that and, and just not think about like logistics of people's lives. Like, yeah. of course, you couldn't you shouldn't call basically after nine. You know what I mean? Like just things like that. Just keeping keeping uh, like you said, normal people in mind. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to you don't want to like seem too desperate. Right. You yeah. don't want to call in the middle of the night saying, oh, did you want to come try jujitsu? It's like, no, I'm you just woke me up. <laughs> Uh, I don't sleep very much and you just woke me up yeah. and they're never coming in again, yeah. right? I so. know I know it's 1 a.m. in the morning, but I was thinking about jiu-jitsu when you emailed me. Do you, do you want to talk about jiu-jitsu? We can go down right now. Yeah. How far away are you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, this is actually uh, an interesting thing that I kind of came to a realization about not that long ago. And that's that, you know, you're, you want to put together this beautiful picture of who you are and what your business looks like but there is such a thing as looking like you're trying too hard and if people yeah. smell that desperation it's going to immediately turn them off um, an example of where I, I you know i personally experienced this for people who work in tech like no one uses resumes anymore people now have linkedin profiles and that's all people use like if you talk to a recruiter or an hr department they don't want you to send their resume or your resume they want to see a linkedin address right so 
<laughs> I had like every bit of conceivable information I could put on there. Like my LinkedIn was like 10 pages long. And I, I was so proud of it because it was way above and beyond what anyone else had on there. But then I looked at people who were really successful and I realized I look like a total idiot. Like <laughs> I, I've got like, I've put like GPAs for classes I took 20 years ago on here. I look like the most desperate weasel ever. So I eventually just hit all of that info, right? You, you never want to look like you're actually trying too hard because Such a good point. desperation is a turnoff. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say you want to manipulate the other person, but you know, you, you don't want to also look like you're, you're begging. That's never going to go well if you, if you're looking like you're begging. Mm -hmm. Um, on, on the topic of being overly desperate as someone who has, uh, run a business themselves, I remember when I, I mean, it wasn't a gym, but I remember when I started my business, I was of course super desperate at first to get any kind of customer. Just like anyone starting a business. Just like anyone. And I was willing to basically take on board anyone who would pay me money. And one thing I realized very quickly, not all customers are created equal. There are good customers and then there are bad customers. And just because someone is paying money, that doesn't mean that they're a good customer, right? You, it is a general rule. One thing I learned from running a business, you never want to do business with people who are cheap because if they're going to nickel and dime you and argue about the price before they've even stepped into your gym or before they've even paid you, then you got to understand that they're going to nickel and dime you every single yeah. month for fees, every single time you need money. They're always going to find ways to try to haggle or get the price down. Um, this kind of comes down to the whole abundance mindset thing that we've talked about in the past. Um, people who have a mindset of like, I'm, I'm cheap and I'm, I'm there, you know, I, everything is so scarce. I can't afford to spend anything. And they kind of hoard their stuff they usually don't get very far like like businesses that are really cheap usually don't succeed because they're they're so busy haggling stupid things that they never actually bother to grow the business so if you have customers who are really cheap and you have to beg and plead with them to pay for or to pay you Think about how much of your time and, and stress it's, it's costing to have to deal with those people. Like it takes a tremendous amount of time to chase people for money. It, it is stressful. It's an awful thing to do. Yeah. And if you've got people in a gym, you do not want to be having to follow up with these people every month and beg them for the money that they owe you, right? So understand that not all customers are created equal. Um, you're much better off trying to find the kind of leads who are not going to cause you any headaches. Yeah, definitely. There's, like you said, not all leads are, are equal. Keep in mind that when someone's coming into your gym and they're essentially um, get, getting a free trial and they're seeing what the gym is, they're seeing how you are as an instructor, you're also giving them an interview. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing if they're a good fit. And if they're a meathead or if they complain a lot or, you know, they, they're, uh, you know, I, I want to believe that people can improve things like hygiene and, and, and social, uh, you know, awkwardness and things like that that's part of your job to possibly help them with things like this but but if you get the wrong feeling from someone or they're like yeah i just want to like i just want to learn how to be a fighter like, i just want to fight it's like, how do i bang yeah exactly. <laughs> can you teach me yeah. to bang <laughs> yeah let's just bang it's like it's like well you know that might not be a good fit because that can disrupt the uh the ecosystem of the school right mm -hmm. so so you got to be careful with who you allow into your into your group because that affects the culture of the gym um yeah all it takes is one bad person to ruin in a group, right? Like exactly. if you've got, you can have a it's great, contagious. yeah, you can have a great performing group of like 30 people. Uh, and this is just organizational behavior, but if you get one toxic person in there, they can corrupt the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know people who, um, like, you know, gym owners that offer like a free, uh, intro, like a free private. If you're new, you get a free private, People come in, you give them the free private and then you give them the sales pitch at the end. It's like a classic formula. My, 
experience with this is it takes a lot of time because you have to go and meet them. So that's an hour out of your day. And when I did this for a, a gym that I used to work for, it was about 80% of the time I would get stuck up. There would mm-hmm. be a complete no show. No one would, they'd say, yeah, I'm coming in. I booked my intro for this day. They'd, and then the day would come and no one would show up and you're just there wasting an hour. So mm-hmm. um, the time to return ratio, like the time spent to return uh, the student actually becoming a member was so low that I just, I don't find that that's a super, um, a super efficient way to manage, uh, to generate leads, but you can sign some people up doing that. I, I just recommend, um, either doing like a giveaway, like you can, you know, enter this contest and you get a, you, you, you could win a free, you know, a free month or whatever. And then, you know, everyone who enters gets a free month. Basically it's like a, I don't want to say a trick, but it basically is, right? Just because you're just looking for contacts that are interested in doing martial arts. Mm-hmm. But um, having a system set up where you actually go and meet someone and give them a free hour private, um, you know, there's something to be said about almost giving people too much stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not a good thing in, ter- in the long run because you can waste a lot of time doing something like that. Yeah, you have to have at least some inkling of whether the other person is legitimately interested, right? I mean, it's very easy to spend tremendous amounts of time time pursuing a lead that's never going to close. Uh, and part of what you have to start to learn is which of the, which of these lead, what are the signals that tell you that someone is legitimately interested and is a quality lead versus someone is just kind of on the fence and they're not, or they're, they're not really going to be a good fit. Like what are the things that allow you to fall into one bucket versus another? And it's going to be different for every gym. Yeah. And I would recommend, you know, cause, cause some play I've been at schools where, when they're trying to interview people that are possibly interested in signing up, there's a, like a script or a sales pitch. It's very structured. Um, maybe the person who, who is the owner of the gym wants you to follow it to a T and it just gets to be like, you're the, you're spewing this, this, it's literally a script or you sound like a used car salesman. And I find people really don't respond to that very well. I know, I know there's a lot of business people out there that say, Oh, you know, you have to use this formula. It's really successful. It's, people don't want to be sold stuff. Like you, like you, you said Mm -hmm. earlier, like people, people want you to be yourself when you're talking. Like when I talk to people that are coming into the school, I'm basically myself. I try and be a no bullshit guy. I lay it all on the table. Our contract is super easy to understand. There's no hidden fees or you're not locked in it any way. You know what I mean? So things like this are, I find people respond way better to that than saying, okay, well, you know, the contract is 200 bucks, but if you sign up today, it's going to be 150 and things like that. Like it's just not you know, putting people in a dilemma like that, where they have to either choose money or uh, something that they might be interested in, a lot of the time they don't sign up. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to to use those kind of, I call them cheesy sales tactics. I think authenticity and uh, high high quality are kind of the, the main things that have driven my business. And they've been pretty successful in terms of uh, generating and maintaining leads. Mm-hmm. So another thing that's key to basically any business these days is your website. Um, It is easy to spend an unbelievably idiotic amount of money on a website, but it's also easy to get one that's relatively affordable. Um, Matt, where do you stand on the importance of a website for your gym and what kind of things do you think are important to put on your website versus Mm -hmm. what kind of things do you think are probably not that important or should just be left off altogether? Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea of not having prices on the website. I think Mm -hmm. that it's good for them to, 
to need to come in and, and uh, the leads to come in and talk to you about that personally, because it gets them in the door. Plus it, you know, they, they don't have any doubts about like, Oh, I can't afford this or whatnot. Um, at the end of the day, when you're making the prices, you can, if someone comes in and they say they, they want to sign up, but they truly can't afford it. You know, you can make exceptions for certain people. It's your business, right? Um, but at, but like you said earlier, you don't want to have someone in there that's going to try and nickel and dime you, yeah. right? Like you need to know what you're worth and you need to be uh, paid for that. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, back on the app, just for us uh, to go down a rabbit hole, I did sign up for uh, Groupon. And it, it's brought in quite a few leads and it's free. Um, now for the first few months, you take a huge hit. You know, you only get paid like a certain percentage of what, what it's, what you're worth, but you get leads in the door. So it totally helps. I think Groupon is actually a, a really good, um, resource for people trying to generate leads quick. And I know people that say, oh, don't, don't do that because it sort of, you know, it devalues your, your program. But think about it this way. It just brings in people that wouldn't have come in anyways and it puts you on another platform platform that people always go to. So I think Groupon is a great way to just get visibility. Um, back to the website thing, you know, I, I, I personally don't, you know me, I'm computer illiterate, right? Like I, you do, Steve does all of the administrative stuff for this. He does all of the, you know, the, the programming and the, the website. And, um, all I do is sometimes I write articles and, and I talk. He sometimes does, Matt also writes clever things on his chalkboard at his gym and takes a photo of it and puts it on Instagram. And when he does that, it outperforms everything else that I post and I get tremendously upset. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, like I said, I don't need to be great with computers, but I just, I happen to know someone who's mm. good with computers. I happen to know someone that can build me a website at almost a free, uh, almost for free. So, so no, and we're going to talk about networking in a next episode, but, but it's really important to, to have someone like that and, um, someone who knows how to build a website. So it's less of a headache for me. Uh, th- things that I would put on the website, obviously you got to have your branding. You got to have, um, your logo. Uh, for me, I have like, uh, some competition pictures and I, I, I hired a photographer who's actually one of my students. That's what yeah. was, the, what was back to skill swapping, right? skill swapping, yeah. right? So, okay. You can, um, you can have jujitsu for a few months and I'll and, and in return you take some yeah. photos from me. It's also a great way to get a website videos. built is you can have jujitsu for a few months if you do my website, right? Absolutely. Like it costs me nothing to 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 give someone a, a free few months except um you know and then, and then they they're always going to come to class and at the same time you build a relationship where it's a, a really good give and take relationship, right? Um, also things like uh, the schedule should be on the website and uh you know uh, a usually an out, uh, a description of what jujitsu is, you know, what, what the culture is like at your gym or your mission statement, and also the different programs that you offer at your website, uh, at your school. So, you know, we have the adults program, we have our, uh, no-gi program, uh, we have kids program. We, we outline the different age groups for the kids program so that it's clear to see. So if someone goes in there and they're wondering what age their kid, their kid can start at, that they, you know, we have three, three all the way up till teenage or so. Okay. Awesome. So my kid can go in that. And, uh, last but not least, definitely always have a call to action button mm-hmm. always have a place where it basically says are you interested in trying this why wouldn't you be right put your information here get started today and they type in their information they type in their email address you get an email right away and then you can now follow up with that lead right away so mm-hmm. that's like a really great way to generate uh organic leads and also 
I can't stress this enough. I've started a TOTS program and it's a great way to feed really young kids into your uh, kids program so that they start at a really young age. It's a, you know, it, it provides the kids with an athletic program that can build uh, coordination and, and athleticism and whatnot. But also these kids are, are now probably going to stay at your school for when the next few, the next few years come up, right? They're going to be, if they're going to continue with jujitsu, they're already going to be at a gym. So they're probably going to stay at that gym. So definitely think about if you have a kid's program, start like a three to five year old age group if you haven't already. Not to mention, of course, that if you get kids interested, a lot of the time the parents follow, right? So that's a, or the kid's friends follow. It becomes very, very easy to get them all together. Another thing that I know a lot of martial arts gyms do is they basically offer things like birthday parties for kids. That's a great way to have a cool, unique party for kids who might not have done something like this before. Get a whole bunch of people you've never met in the door, try something all at once like there's a lot of ways that you can get people exposed to the art in kind of new and novel ways like that that's, that's something that our gym does actually as well yeah i know a lot of schools that do that i i actually don't offer that but if you have the time and you you know you can justify in your mind that could totally bring in a ton of leads and just like we earlier we mentioned like referral programs uh discounts for servicemen and and women and and uh you know police rates and things like that those those things go a long way right if mm-hmm. If you're willing to to give something to to somebody for for bringing in a friend, they have incentive to spread the word. And if they like the product, it's going to be a good uh, good word that they spread. Yeah, yeah. On the topic of websites, because this kind of falls into my day job, um, it's easy to wind up spending a ton of money on a website that gives you no value. When people start thinking about a business, they often start thinking about their website and how great they want it to look and how they want it to perfectly express their brand. And let me tell you, if you wind up hiring a web developer to build you a perfect website, like you can run up a $20,000 bill easily and for no benefit to yourself. The kind of companies that need that like ultra professional, ultra tailored website, those are like big multi-million dollar companies. And I'm sure you're not one of them at this point, right? So at this point, the other thing to bear in mind too, is the kind of customers that you're catering to are not going to be able to tell the difference between like a triple A top tier best in class website versus one that's just like pretty good looking. Um, if you don't have someone who can do a website for you, again, my first recommendation would be find a web developer and offer to do a skill swap with them. But failing that, there are services like Squarespace, Squarespace for example. Yeah, yeah, Christy uses that where basically you pay them like 20 bucks a month. It's quite reasonable. And they have a whole bunch of easy ways to like set up a website that looks good. You don't need really any computer experience at all. This whole thing you can kind of build yourself. Yeah. It's I'm, like drag and click, right? Yeah, it's it's really, really easy and it looks great. Um, no one but a professional designer is going to be able to tell the difference and a professional designer won't care anyway. Uh, I mean, it's a jujitsu school. <laughs> They're yeah, not really going to exactly. care. Um, so that said though, you also want to be careful not to spend too much time trying to make your website look perfect because it can be a big time suck. So I do think that the best option is to get one of your students to kind of do a skill swap because then everybody wins in 
all ways, right? The, the gym wins, you get the website, student wins, everyone's happy. Yeah, and you need a website. Yeah, you, you do You do need a website. Another thing that you can do on a website, um, it's it's always good to make calls to action completely seamless and, and friendly. Um, a good way to do that, in addition to just having like a click, me to, a click to email button, is you can do things like embed Facebook Messenger, and that makes it super easy for people to just bang off a message to you, and it feels much more human than just like pressing a button to send an email. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the cool things that services like Facebook let you do is you can just embed like a chat window right into your website. So in terms of other things, Matt, uh, we've talked a lot about kind of how to build up and uh, advertise your business. But as for the aspects of kind of actually running and defining what your business is, a hard thing that every gym has to settle on is how do you design your schedule, your class schedule, and what's that going to look like? And you the thing is, no one is not, you're never going to be able to make a schedule that makes everybody happy. Exactly. Someone's always going to be upset because they're working that day and they can't fit, they can't make it that day or they get off work at this time and they can't get here by this time. Uh, so that's always going to be a headache. But are there any rules that you can generally think of in terms of like what you should do when you're designing that schedule? God, so many sleepless nights trying to design the schedule <laughs> because you know what? Like, Basically, obviously, it has to fit your schedule. You're the one who has to teach the classes, so it has to work with you and your family. So that's number one, right? Um, basic general rules. I think the latest a class should be starting is seven. I know some gyms start classes at eight and even eight thirty, and that's just so late. So a lot of people in I immediately aren't going to come to those classes just because it's going to be over at ten or ten thirty. There's going to be no time for them to go home and and wind down before they get up and go to work the next day. So, you know, don't start your classes any later than seven in my my opinion um in terms of kids classes you know my kids classes are actually pretty late they're at six but that's because i i uh, watch my daughter during the day so um as soon as i can sort of sort that out i'd like to have earlier kids classes ideally around 5 30 or or even five o'clock and um yeah try to if you can if you can swing it good to have some daytime classes because that'll bring in a totally different demographic of people that couldn't make it the adult classes that's really important um uh sorry the adult evening classes and also the uh the like well i call it the tots class it's just uh the three to five year old kids that's that's generally a daytime class for uh parents that are stay-at-home parents or maybe they're on mat leave um, there's a whole demographic of, of parents that are home during the day with kids that are looking to get their kid in an activity for a half hour or 45 minutes. So, you know, it, it's it, like you said, you can't please everyone with the schedule. And if you try, you're going to go insane. Um, when you're designing a schedule, I, I, as long as it works for you, don't go crazy trying to make it exactly perfect because uh, a, a schedule should be fluid. I, uh, like Rob, for example, he changes his schedule sometimes for the summertime. He'll he'll even cut classes back if the if the uh, attendance isn't good right and uh, as a general rule if you're starting a school I don't think it's strange to have a school where you know maybe you only offer classes three to four days a week mm-hmm. you know that that's not totally uncommon especially if you um especially if you have don't have a lot of leads there's no point in having classes every day if you don't have a lot of leads yeah, right you're actually better off getting those groups of people into the same room together rather than having them spread out across the week exactly and let's say you are you know you're very passionate about jujitsu and you're very passionate still about your own training as i was when i first started my school uh we, we started on guard with three days a week and then the other days i would use to go train somewhere else so i would i would get cross training on those off days so um you know 
positives in in cutting the schedule back sometimes and and like you said it, people will now be forced to train on those days which makes those turnouts way better than if you have uh you know classes every day and then each class there's like three people there two people there well it's probably because you're offering too many classes so there's definitely such a thing as offering too much um when the demand isn't that high yeah, yeah. I would have two points on the schedule front. Uh, one of them is you do, you know, you should have some fluidity to your schedule. If you can make, if you can improve it, then yeah, if there, if it makes sense to make a change, then sure, make the change. But it's also aggravating to students if changes are being made all the time for no really good reason. Yeah. Uh, that's something you have to bear in mind. Uh, you know, jujitsu is a big time commitment, especially for people who do it casually. And it takes some effort to actually you know, massage your life around a jujitsu schedule. So it can be frustrating if people are always kind of like moving that around, right? If if the schedule is always changing and you're spending a lot of time trying to accommodate that schedule, it's frustrating for your students. So that's something to bear, to bear in mind. Um, I would say two other things to think about when designing a schedule. Number one, ideally, you want your schedule to be as easy to remember as possible. And that means like if you can have the time at least be somewhat consistent or not weird across the board so that it's easy to remember, that's great. It kind of sucks if like one day your class starts at 6.15 and it goes for 90 minutes and then the next day it starts at like 7.40 and it goes for 60 minutes. Like that kind of stuff is a total logistical nightmare. So it's a lot easier if you can just say like... Simplify. Yeah, it's at 6 o'clock or something like that and it's on these three days. That's much simpler. Another thing to think about that I do not think enough gym owners think about, understand what transit routes are around your gym, Mm -hmm, understand what times the buses and the trains get off, and understand how long it would take people to commute to your gym and synchronize with that. Um, Our gym, the the gym that I train at, Ascension in Port Coquitlam, we're right next to a major train stop. Um, And so commuters like myself who come in from downtown after work, like I hop off the train, I walk next door, it's like takes no time to get there and it's it's perfectly synchronized so that um, I have just enough time to get in get changed to do class was this intentional probably not <laughs> but it, it is ultra ultra convenient and I I think that it certainly makes sense for every gym owner to spend some time researching what the transit and uh, and like the bus routes and the traffic situation is like around them and how long it would take commuters and and parents to like get there get changed get ready um, because if you can if you could tie to that kind of thing it's going to especially in an urban city uh, where there's a lot of public transit it can really make a difference for your gym yeah that's a great point and that way you're not going to have tons of people walking in late all the time exactly but, but yeah. you know Sometimes that's another thing is if you're a gym owner, I know that there's some people have a culture where it's like, if you're late, you wait off to the side until uh, the professor tells you you can enter and things like that. It's like, uh, that may be for certain gyms. I, at my gym, personally, people can come and go as they please. But just remember that people do have lives there. They, a lot of people do use public transit and, you know, it might happen where people miss the warm up or people are five minutes late. And I think being understand, being understanding is more effective than being uh, stuffy about it. But that's just my own personal opinion. Yeah, I know that some people really lean on the whole discipline thing behind martial arts and it's very important to them that everyone get there on time. But look, at the end of the day, you're a gym, 
right? Um, people are paying you for a service and sometimes life happens. Now, now, yeah, if someone is chronically 30 minutes late and they make a big disruption every time they get into class, I can see that kind of grating on your nerves. But, you know, most of the time from my experience, if people are late or they have to be late, they kind of sneak in the back and they make sure they're not being yeah. disruptive. And look, life happens, right? We all have to accommodate the fact that we're all busy people. And I, I really don't think it's the hill to die on if your students are coming in late unless it's causing disruption or issue for your class. Agreed. So one other thing, you know, we've talked about kind of how you make the machine work. Let's say now you've got the students in the door. How do you how do you retain them? How do you keep people happy over the long term? Yeah. And this is, I think, for most successful business, I, I used to work for uh, the Marriott, which is it's the biggest hotel chain in the world. And their their whole mantra was, you know, it's all, you're always going to be more profitable in retaining customers, having customers return than getting new customers mm-hmm. to return. Uh, sorry, to get new customers to try your product. Turnover so, is expensive in like in almost every walk of life. It's easier to retain customers or employees or whatever employees to get as well. new ones. Exactly. So so you want to think of the same thing. You want to um, you want to build meaningful connections with students. You do not want to be a gym that has like if you have hundreds of students that's amazing but you don't want to just have them come in and they're just a number that pays you and they don't know who you are and you don't know who they are i I think it's really important to build those relationships with people and to know something about them know if they have a family know what they do for a living you know um joke with them and and keep them happy like you say steve to, to to make sure that they know that it's an authentic atmosphere and that it's a um you know that you're not trying to just sell them something that you're trying to enrich their life and that in turn they're enriching your life as well it's a you know and and that also goes back to the the quality of the leads that comes in through the door like we discussed earlier you want to always make sure that um you're you're keeping the culture in your gym healthy by having good people there authentic people there um, people you don't have to constantly chase for money, people who aren't disruptive and, and, uh, you know, causing you problems. So it's really important to, to think about how can you be authentic? How can you be a good person and really keep the good people coming in that are, are, uh, that have found you. Right. And, um, you know, in terms of retaining students, you know, some people worry about, uh, their students going to other clubs and things like that. Well, I'm very much in the belief that if you offer a great product, um, you know, and you're a good person and you create a good, good, clean atmosphere to train in, you don't have to worry about people jumping ship and going to other places. It's, it's people that have, uh, you know, a lack of confidence and, and, uh, they're insecure and they know that maybe there's some, some things missing with their business plan that, uh, they, they feel more worried about losing students to other clubs. Yeah. And the reality is that even the best clubs, there's going to be turnover for a variety of reasons. It's, it's Life. unavoidable, yeah. right? And if you have a problem with that and you take that personally and you, you know, you take it out on those students who leave or you make it difficult for them, I assure you that is going to have the opposite effect that is good for your gym, right? You're going to wind up creating damage within within the community. You're going to get a bad reputation. You're better off just understanding that, look, sometimes people leave. Now, you you don't want people to be leaving in droves, but if people do leave, you know, that shouldn't... This is a business transaction. It shouldn't be something where, you know, you blacklist them for life and you never talk to them or you... You know, that that kind of stuff is just... It's childish and it's petty and that kind of drama really doesn't have any place in the adult world. And if people are leaving in large 
quantities, you should reevaluate what's yes. going on. That, that's a that's a huge and and it's happened. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people that that's yeah. happened to. That should be a huge red flag that hey, I'm doing something that's pissing people off, or I'm not doing something and that's bothering people, and and as a result, people are leaving. What can I do to fix this right away before more people go? Yeah, if you have a slow and steady trickle of of uh, you know of small and manageable turnover, and people are leaving for reasons that don't really have anything necessarily to do with the quality of instruction. It's just like, hey, we moved or something, or I got a new job. That's one thing. But if you are seeing a mass exodus, you need to have the humility to try to understand why that's happening, because it's probably not a coincidence, right? And it's only going to get worse unless you can bite the bullet and put your ego on the shelf and start to ask hard questions about what's going on. Yeah. And 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 like you say, like asking hard questions, having that dialogue with your students, like a, tra- a truly transparent Pers- uh, uh, your, your, you know, your personality is truly transparent. That's super valuable because if you have that humility, people will be like, Oh, like, uh, you know, you know, Matt's not this professor who is, is, you know, he's almighty and has all this knowledge and, and, uh, you know, he knows everything and, and, uh, you know, we have, he's, he's, uh, he is the professor. I, I, I prefer to just try and portray myself as one of the students. And as a result, I, I people are way more friendly and and wanting to be outgoing with you and have a back and forth people are joking i i love when people you know make fun of me in class and kick kick the sh- uh you know like really kick the piss out of each other and and make it a fun thing i grew up cooking in kitchens so that's the culture that we have in mm-hmm. kitchens and and uh you know um that's sort of how i like to have an atmosphere in the gym i like it i like people to be able to to poke fun at me and i like people to be able to to come up with me and question my, why i'm doing things give me feedback ask tons of questions question question you know uh, why do you do something this way when I've seen someone do this way or, or, you know, Hey, I saw, I saw someone do it like this. And then for me to have the humility to say, yeah, Hey, you know what guys, let's come back. Let's talk about this. This is something that we need to go over because you know, this guy just showed us this and, um, you know, nothing's too good to be skimmed over here. So, or, or nothing's too, uh, you know what I mean? So, so just to have that open dialogue and be, being even able to admit when you're wrong is something that people really value. Yeah. In my mind, this is one of the problems with hiding behind like a, a position of authority. And this is one of the reasons why I don't really like the, the term, like people insisting on calling people by rank, like professor this or coach that, yeah. or even the whole belt system, I think can kind of lead to this issue a bit. If you create a separation of authority between yourself and your students, you're going to get to a point where they are probably not going to be comfortable giving you hard feedback and that can hurt you if things go south, right? So that's just something to bear in mind. Um, you, If you have an authentic relationship with your students that is based on, you know, friendship and not based on belt color and title, <laughs> yeah, then you're going to probably wind up preventing a lot of problems down the road when you're running your gym. And it's just more fun. Like yeah. I, I just, I, I do that literally because I think it's more fun, but I also think that people will respond to it better and if you if you come off more as a friend and a training partner as opposed to a you know professor or master or whatever you want to call it um people tend to to want to gravitate towards that you know it's it's a fun light atmosphere you can say things and people don't get upset and uh you know and and the the professor doesn't get mad if you question him he doesn't get mad if you if you uh if you criticize why he's doing something and that's kind of and you if you ask me that's how you get excellence mm-hmm. if someone if someone asks me why i'm doing something or questions me why i'm doing something 
that's a good thing. It, mm-hmm. It's a good thing if I can now test my theory and explain back to the class and also show that that's okay to be to be that transparent or to even say, hey, you know what? I showed something wrong. Like I screwed up. Let's let's do it again. Let's talk about this, right? And and um, you know, people people will take to that if they see that you can admit when you're wrong. And yeah. I've definitely done that my fair amount of times. Awesome. So we covered quite a bit today. We talked about lead generation, advertising, merchandising, social media, websites, uh, how to design a schedule, how to keep your students happy. In terms of the mental models we talked about, obviously not a lot today. This was mostly a talking from experience podcast, but we did talk about investing in loss, meaning that, you know, in order to be good at something, you need to initially be willing to be bad at it and possibly suffer some losses. Um, This applies not just in terms of jujitsu, but also in terms of business, right? probably going to lose money before you make money. And we also talked about having an abundance mindset and how, it, you know, if, if the kind of customers you're engaging have that kind of mindset and they're not cheap, you're probably going to wind up being a lot happier at the end of the day. Matt, on this topic, something that you brought up, I'd like to actually ask a question and get your thought. Uh, student promotions. Mm-hmm. So when you're running a gym, I mean, this is a big part of retaining students and making them happy. At some point, you're going to be promoting them and kind of helping them advance their own journey. What are your policies and thoughts on appropriate and effective ways to manage promotions? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've got about 100 students. Um or just under that. And I know that, uh, you know, when you, when you reach the amount of several hundred students, it's really hard to see each person's individual game. Um, but my standards of, of promotions are, uh, not quite as conservative as Rob. Rob is very much, you know, <laughs> Rob's Rob says, you know, not all people are meant to be black belts, which is true. But when he says it, he means like you could literally be a student at my gym for 20 years. And if you can't display these certain aspects of jujitsu, you're not getting a black belt. You just won't get one. Whereas I'm a little bit more liberal, but, but still like, I, I recognize that people have certain, uh, goals. So, you know, you could be recreational and, and not as skilled as someone else. And, you know, uh, if you've put in the time, I'm more inclined to still award you a black belt eventually, right? For when I can award black belts. Um, but, but it's still a, a very merit based promotional system that I use, uh, for, for, um, for our club. And, and I know Rob, he, he has the, for him, the four stripes represent, I want to say guard, a guard passing, guard retention, takedowns, and don't know what the four is. He's got, <laughs> he's got it on his website, bjjconcepts.net. It's a, it's a really fantastic resource for instructors, especially the pedagogy section, which totally helps you become a better instructor, which is a really cool feature of the online academy. Um, and he talks about the criteria for each stripe, uh, which I thought was really cool. I didn't even think about that. Um, for me right now, the way that I do it is I basically... Uh, I get to know each student and I, I watch the skills that they have. I see what they can have. And I'm very honest about what I want to see them improve before, um, before they get that next promotion. And some people don't get promoted the same time as other people. And that's good. That's how it should be. Not everyone should get promotions on the same day. And, um, you know, I think it's good to go up to that person, uh, or maybe they come to you and say, Hey, you didn't get promoted because, I want you. To, I want to see this before you get the next straight, right? And and uh, no hard feelings. But you need bolos. That's honestly, obviously. I mean, you're not, you're not getting at, that purple belt until yeah, I'm seeing bolos. Not getting class. that blue belt until I see <laughs> bolos. Um, but yeah, no. It's uh, that that takes a very honest, transparent 
back and forth dialogue and and it's 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 healthy i think for for an instructor uh like rob says i the whole thing about how you should never ask your instructor about their next promo about your next promotion um because it's disrespectful is absolutely ludicrous you should totally talk to your instructor and see what they think uh get their immediate feedback what they think you should do it's maybe it's guard retention usually it's guard retention mm-hmm. uh maybe it's controlling the back you know maybe it's um uh you they want to see a, you to have at least a takedown both forward and back they you know things like that so it's really important to to talk to your instructor and understand and obviously i don't give out any promotions unless you train in the gi that's i don't i i have a few guys that train in the morning they don't ever put on a gi uh, i'm going to start forcing them to put on a gi i said if you don't put on a gi you're not getting promoted interesting it. i didn't realize that you had that policy well what would i what would i do put ta- put tape on their fingers I don't know, man. I've seen people do weird stuff. I've seen people like like put little like stripes on their shorts. I I think the whole really? thing is weird. Yeah, I uh. I think the whole thing is weird. I don't know why you would even care about belts if you don't have any if you don't have anything that needs to be held up with said belt. But hey, that's it, well, that's just the thing, right? Like I know I know Tenth Planet gives belts. Um, and and God, I've gotten into trouble saying stuff about that online. It, 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 <laughs> at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, belts are really not important. Everyone knows that. Anyone who's serious about jujitsu knows that. Um, it's just to keep you motivated, and uh, quite honestly, keep the uh, the lower ranks motivated. And uh, it can be really important for some people, and for for a lot of the serious people, it's not that important. So, um, but if you're not gonna wear a gi, I'm not gonna give you a belt. Yeah. And that's that's just a you know, and and that, I say that because I encourage people to do both gi and no gi. It's a way if you want to get promoted under me, you got to wear a gi, and I think that that's how jujitsu should be trained: both gi and no gi. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, interesting. My my philosophy on the whole promotion thing is a, maybe a little bit different. I mean, I, I think it's hard to systemize something like this and make it super rigid because everyone's experience is quite a bit different. You know, the way that my instructor always explained it is like, you know, getting, uh, you know, a promotion is about your, your stat, your capabilities relative to your potential, like basically where you are on your journey. Uh, you know, if you're a black belt, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to, you know, ha- beat other black belts. I mean, you might still actually kind of be not very good. It's, it's possible. But if, if you have like maxed out your potential and you've kind of learned, you know, yeah, granted, you, you can't have like giant holes of knowledge that should be holding you back. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're like a, a purple belt and you can't, you have like no ability to pass guard. If you have no problem. bolos. Yeah. If you have no Bolos. <laughs> uh, but what, what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it should be relative to your, your own journey, not necessarily relative to where other people stand. Uh, yeah. You know, we already have sure. a way to evaluate where other people stand relative to you. It's called tournaments. Uh, the belt is about, at least in my mind, about where you stand relative to yourself and a- along your own path and what your own journey is. Now, how exactly that gets defined is going to come down to instructor by instructor. But to me, I think that's a good way to kind of phrase it. Yeah, absolutely. And um everyone has different goals. Everyone progresses it different ways. I'm I'm not a big fan of the, you know, you've shown up 40 times so it's time for another stripe. I'm not a big fan of that because yeah. it's not merit-based uh or it's not even development-based, right? I mean, yeah. people develop like there, I like I like to see consistency though. That is a big part of of promotion, but but like, you know, it, like you said, it should be development-based. It should be like I think it should be skill-based yeah. mostly. 
And the thing about the thing about development in jujitsu, especially that can be frustrating for new people, is that it you want it to be linear, but it's not. Like you think that you're you know you're you're going to increase in skill in kind of like a straight line over time, but it doesn't happen like that. It's like there's going to be peaks and there's going to be troughs and there's going to be long plateaus and then there's going to be like massive gains that seem to happen overnight. And so for that reason alone, I don't think it's a good idea to promote people on a set schedule, just because if for no other reason, people don't grow and develop on a set schedule. Like I've trained with people who seemingly didn't improve at all for like five years. And then one month they just like suddenly just, I I guess they have like an epiphany moment and they just got incredible overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Like people don't develop on a consistent linear basis. So I think that whatever promotion structure you use has to take that into account. Anyway, I think that was a great chat. I hope this was helpful. We're going to continue over the next few episodes to be talking about the instructor aspects of jiu-jitsu. I believe the next topic that we want to cover next week is probably going to center around uh, relationships and networking, particularly business relationships, networking with the jiu-jitsu community, and the, the people that you ultimately wind up working and training with as well. So that's going to be a good one. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you very much.